Well, good evening. It's uh, really wonderful to be back here and to be able to preach to you this evening after a four-week break for myself. I enjoyed getting to visit my children and my parents back in the United States, Uh, but it's good to be back with you as well. And before I left, I was preaching through Acts, and we are going to go back to the book of Acts, which was written by Luke. We're going to go back to Acts after um, next Saturday, actually. So it'll be the first weekend in, um, in 2021. We get back to the book of Acts. But for the next two Saturdays, this Saturday and next Saturday, we're going to dip back into Luke's other writing, which is his gospel account. And we're going to look at the very beginning, chapter 1 of Luke's gospel. When fathers get to be in the delivery room to see their children born, strange things often happen. Many of them do things that they typically do when they're nervous. I know I was very nervous when my first daughter, Hannah, was born, of course, My wife, Joanne, deserved to be nervous. I didn't deserve to be nervous particularly. But when I'm nervous, I pay attention to what seems like unimportant details. And so I was focusing on things like the machines that were blipping and beeping around and things like that. I didn't know what to do with myself. But when that child finally makes his or her grand appearance, wow, nothing else matters. Some dads cry, some dads jump for joy, some dads faint. But perhaps the strangest response that I've ever heard of that was written down happened at the eight-day-old circumcision and naming of the baby who would become John the Baptist. His father, Zechariah, sang a song. He sang a song. The song is our passage for this evening, and before we dive into what was going on when that song was sung, I want you to think about songs in general. Of course, every song has a theme, an idea that makes it hang together. The theme at the heart of Zechariah's song was, God sent us a promised Savior and a prophet to prepare His way. God sent us a promised Savior and a prophet to prepare His way. That was the theme of Zechariah's song. Now, if you're not already there, I want you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Luke is in the, near the beginning of the New Testament in your Bible. And you, if you ever want to know where to go, where to find a particular passage in the Bible, and you're not familiar with the Bible, turn to the table of contents. Turn to the table of contents and it'll tell you the exact page to go to. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1 and you want to flip the pages till you get to verse 67. There are a lot of verses in chapter 1 of Luke. Verse 67. Now I want you to keep your finger there for a moment. Luke's gospel begins with the true story of an old priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They were godly people. But they lived with a deep ache. They'd never had a child. 
They prayed and they prayed and they prayed, but it was too late. They were old. But when Zechariah's turn came to serve inside the temple, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and promised him that his wife Elizabeth would bear a son. Gabriel said that the child would be a prophet who would go before the Lord. Now filled with doubt and unbelief, Zechariah, in so many words, asked for a sign, some kind of proof, a guarantee that it would happen. But the angel Gabriel wouldn't have any of it. Zechariah was struck deaf and mute and would only be able to hear and speak again once that baby was born. Then Gabriel appeared to the Virgin Mary in another city, another town, and announced to her that she would bear the Son of God. And then Mary spent three months with her relative Elizabeth. See, Zechariah's wife was Mary's relative, spent three months with her until finally Elizabeth's child was due to be born. Now imagine it for just a moment. Zechariah hasn't been able to speak for almost a year. The last thing that he had heard, the last time that he'd spoken before that long and lonely silence was Gabriel's promises in the temple. He'd meditated, of course, in silence for a year, considering the angel's words, considering the promises of God to Israel, considering his own disbelief. But God, in that period of silence, was working in Zechariah through that painful discipline. He was giving him an understanding, and he was giving him faith. Faith that would eventually be able to be voiced in praises to God. Now, in the verses just before our passage, Zechariah's son was born, and it was time to circumcise him on the eighth day. That's the day, of course, that he would also be named. And as soon as a tablet was given to Zechariah to write on the tablet, because remember, Zechariah couldn't speak and Zechariah couldn't hear, When he was asked what would be his name, he wrote, his name is John. And at that moment, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and after a year of silence, he opened his mouth and he prophesied in the form of a song. That's our passage tonight, the song of Zechariah. He sang about our Savior, and he sang about his prophet. Those are the two points this evening, the Savior and his prophet. So first, the Savior. Zechariah's first words after a year of silence are praise for God because he's visited and redeemed his people. And right away you might notice that Zechariah is speaking in the past tense as if it's already happened. But Jesus, of course, is still in Mary's womb. She's only three months pregnant. Jesus is a child in the womb about the size of a small apple, not even fully formed. He's an unborn child. And yet, Zechariah speaks as if God has already visited them. Have you ever known anyone so dependable and so trustworthy that when asked to do something, they say, done? 
and they turn and they go away to do it. You and they know that it's going to happen. You can count on it being done, right? The Holy Spirit is saying through Zechariah, redemption, salvation, done. The Holy Spirit can cause Zechariah to speak as if it's already done because what God promises, He always, always does. It's that certain. Just like Paul can say to the Colossians that we're already seated in the heavenly realms with Christ because of what Christ has done for us. The unborn Jesus in Mary's womb was an absolute rock-solid guarantee of redemption for His people. You and I can count on God's promises. He never fails. The outcome is sure. What are some of the promises of God that you need to consider to be done right now for you? What about, I will never leave you or forsake you? Is that a promise you need to know is absolutely rock solid true? Or what about God will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea? Is that balm for your soul right now? To know that it's absolutely true? What about I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand? That's a promise we can count on. Or a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. All of God's promises count as already done in Jesus Christ. Then Zechariah continues to sing. Look with me at verse 69. He says, the Lord has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. Now, a horn of salvation is a powerful tool of salvation. It represents might. When you think of a horn, you could think of an animal's horn. You think of the horn of a rhinoceros, which could devastate his enemy. Or maybe the horns of an angry bull, which are powerful and deadly. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. The source of salvation is in the house of David. In other words, a physical descendant of David. Now, a thousand years before, God had promised King David saying, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Joseph and Mary are descendants of King David. And the child in her womb is that horn of salvation, raised up by the Lord, descended from David. And Zechariah's song is telling us God is keeping His thousand-year-old promises. These were promises that the Lord continually had reminded the people of Israel about all through the prophets of the Old Testament. And as each prophet came and went, they repeated the promises of salvation for God's people. 
even a savior from David's line. But salvation from what? What were the people being saved from? Well, in verse 71, Zechariah's song continues. He says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. You see, Israel always had enemies. Nations around them that wanted to dominate them, steal land and resources from them, maybe form alliances with them so that they could later manipulate them and take advantage of them. But how does Christ save us from enemies? I mean, thankfully, not many of us likely have people who are bent on destroying us. The Scriptures are clear that from the beginning of time, our greatest enemy is Satan. Jesus calls him the enemy in the book of Luke. He's the enemy of God and he's the enemy of God's creation, especially mankind. Death is our enemy as well. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, Paul says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ, the Son of God, came more than anything to destroy our greatest enemies then, Satan and death. Death, of course, stalks each one of us. And Satan hates you because he hates God and all that God made. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he defeated Satan's temptations. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, on the cross, he sealed Satan's fate. Jesus came to fight for you and I. And he has won the battle against our greatest enemies. Now, Zechariah's song continues to explain why the Lord would do all this for us. Look at verses 72 through 73 with me. He says, To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to Abraham. From the very first chapters of the Bible, God promised mercy. Mercy is undeserved kindness. It's not getting what you and I deserve for our sin. And God made it a more specific promise when He told Abraham in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You see, Jesus is also the offspring of Abraham. Jesus is the horn of salvation raised up in the house of David. All of this mercy that we experience through God's Son, our Savior, is because of the merciful promises of God. And what is the end goal of being saved by God? Well, it's right there in His song, verses 74 and 75, that we might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. The purpose of God saving us is so that we might live to serve God. We were designed by God, created by God, fitted for God to serve Him. If you're a Christian, your chief calling in life is to serve God. It's where you'll find the greatest joy and the most fulfillment. We serve God by going about our relationships and our work in ways in which He commands us to. 
that serves Him, that glorifies Him. It means, for example, forgiving those who wrong you because you've been forgiven. It means loving your enemies because Christ has loved us when we were His enemies. Is your whole purpose in life to serve God? Is that what you think about when you think about your purpose and your goals? Or are you trying to get what you really want in life and maybe do a little bit for God on the side? The Lord designed you to serve Him wholeheartedly with all of your life for His goals to be your goals. Now you'll also notice all the times in this song that Zechariah sings about us or we. He's singing in the plural. You see, we were saved to serve Him together in a church. If you're here at Covenant Hope for the first time, we're thrilled with that. I hope you join us for our Christmas banquet. It's going to happen at the end of this coming week on Thursday night. Register for that, please, and join us. We want to get to know you better. But if your habit is to only come to church around Christmas or maybe Easter, then I think you might not understand what it really means to be saved. When God saves a person, when they become a Christian, His purpose is to bring them into a group of Christians where they can grow and live out their faith together. It's all throughout the Bible. And that group is called a church, an assembly, a gathering of people. If you're not committed to a local church year-round, let me invite you to take that step of obedience to God. Come and join us. The Lord sent Jesus to save us as a people, not just individual persons. Now, if we think of Zechariah's song as just that, a song, it's in verse 76 that he starts into his second verse. The first verse of the song was about the Savior, and the second verse is about the Savior's prophet, his prophet. That's the second point this evening, his prophet. The Savior would be Jesus growing in Mary's womb, but Zechariah's son would be the Savior's prophet. And so beginning in verse 76, Zechariah begins singing the song to his son John. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. I can picture Zechariah holding his newborn son in his hands and singing that song to him. You know, during my university years, there was a traveling evangelist named, with a funny name, his name was Cliff Connectly. He was great at open-air evangelism. You know, he would go outside the buildings at the university, and he would begin to preach, and a crowd would gather around him, and that was his specialty. The crowd loved interacting with him. He would preach the gospel. He would ask for questions, whatever questions people had was very, very effective. But before Cliff came to the campus, he would always send someone to the campus the week before to get the Christian students ready to make the most of the time when he would actually be there. And this person who would come beforehand, this forerunner, we'll call them, 
would train students in evangelism, teaching them how to share their faith because they'd have lots of opportunities for that. He'd prompt the students to begin praying earnestly for their non-Christian friends. He'd help them arrange all of the university permissions needed for Cliff to arrive in town and immediately begin the work of outdoor evangelism. This forerunner's work was so very, very important for the fruitfulness of Cliff's ministry on campus. That's what John's role would be in the life and ministry of Jesus. He would prepare the people by announcing to them the coming of the Messiah, that the Messiah was right around the corner. He would preach that the people needed to repent of their sins so that their hearts would be soft and ready to hear all that Jesus taught. And Zechariah's next few lines of his song tell us specifically how John, his son, would be preparing the people. He says at the end of 77 and into 78, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. You can't receive salvation from God without knowing how to be saved. It doesn't just happen to you, like some lightning bolt from heaven. It doesn't happen when someone is baptized, whether they're a baby or they're an adult. It doesn't happen just because you grow up in a Christian family or even because you're a faithful churchgoer. Salvation doesn't happen when you accumulate enough good deeds in your life. Oh, friends, you could never do that. Salvation happens when someone's sins are forgiven. The prophet John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, yes, this baptism was important. It was a physical ritual. It was a physical ritual that represented the person's commitment to repent of their sins. So they came to John repenting of their sins. And the baptism represented what was going on in their heart. John appeared and announced that but Jesus came and accomplished the forgiveness of sins for us. The good news of the gospel is that God is merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And He's made a way for your sins to be forgiven. Done away with, completely covered over, washed away. All of us have fallen short of God's design. He made us to live in perfect obedience to Him, enjoying a relationship with Him face-to-face, a relationship of love and joy with Him. But we have all turned our back on that. We've turned our back on Him. Our choice from the very beginning of our life was to cut ourselves off from Him. And to be cut off from Him is to be cut off from life. And to set ourselves up as His opponents We could even say His enemies. And for that, we deserve death. We deserve condemnation. For lying, we deserve death. For adultery, we deserve death. For covetousness, we deserve death. For every sin we've ever committed, we deserve death. 
But God is merciful. He sent a Savior, Jesus. In the gospel message, we come to a knowledge of salvation through faith in Jesus. Turning away from our sins and to Him in faith, our sins are forgiven. He takes the punishment that we deserve, and we go from being His enemies to being His beloved children. What a transformation. What a gift. What a mercy from God. Oh, I urge you to receive God's mercy in Christ. Turn to Him. Believe in Him. Christians, if you're a Christian, brother and, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus, God has visited us and redeemed us. He saved us from our enemies and our sin. Well, who was the one who prepared the way for in your life for you to receive Jesus as the Savior? Who was it? Who was your John? Was it a parent? Was it a pastor? Or maybe it was a friend or a relative? Thank God for them. Praise God for them. Now, who might God use you to give the knowledge of salvation to? Look around in your life. Who can you tell about the forgiveness of sins through Jesus the Savior? Is there anything more important than that? Church, let's pray that we see the opportunities to share the gospel around us, especially during this season, and let's pray for courage and teamwork in pointing people to Christ. Even though it's his own son that Zechariah is holding and singing to, he can't continue singing about John too long before he mentions the Savior again. Look at the end of verse 78 and end of verse 79 whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. John's ministry would be to point to Jesus. And Jesus' arrival would be like a sunrise, giving light, spiritual light to us because we live in spiritual darkness. You know those phrases, those who sit in darkness... And in the shadow of death, they, they remind me of what it must feel like to be a condemned person chained in a dark prison cell awaiting execution. Dread, sadness, no chance of escape, intense regret. That was our situation when we were lost in our sin and rebellion. Oh, it might have felt like freedom, but believe me, it was darkness. It is darkness if you're there. But imagine that prisoner startled by the pris prison door opening, and he's led out, not to the executioner, but into the bright sun. His chains are removed. He's been pardoned. He can walk away, a free man or a free woman. Christ is the Savior, the one who has won our pardon for us. The bright sunrise that drove out the darkness and the shadow of death. The one who can give us everlasting, never-fading peace with God. As we look toward Christmas, think about Zechariah's song. Remember that the birth of Jesus was a visitation from the Lord God Himself.
God sent us a promised Savior and a prophet to prepare His way. More specifically, God sent Jesus to save us. And He sent the prophet John to prepare us. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, and blessed be our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise You that You have had mercy on us. We praise You for Your great promises made really in the first few chapters of Genesis to Adam and Eve that a descendant of Eve would crush the head of the descendant of the serpent. And we praise You that You made promises to Abraham and that You made promises to David and that You have kept every single one of the promises. They're all fulfilled in Jesus. We praise You for the salvation we have through Him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.